Welcome to the Arena Deckless Podcast. I'm Jerry Thompson, joined by Brian Gottlieb. I am in a real shit mood, my friends, but the show must go on, and we actually have a lot of stuff to talk about. Puts a lot of pressure on me to be a beacon of light, but thankfully, no, no. As I, everyone knows, that's that's what I'm great at. Like I'm great at just being a shining ray of positivity. So I I will step up to the task and deliver this week. Well, a you are, and b that was not my intention. My intention was if I am muted or exceptionally salty, you kind of have an idea why. I warned okay. you at the beginning. Yeah, that's good. Good to set the table. Get expectations in the right place. Just, no complaints here. Just plunge the expectations before every show, <laughs> regardless of how cheerful you actually are. I think that might be the way to go going forward. Just just no pressure, just no expectations from anyone listening, and we just let ourselves off the hook, and if the show's a train wreck, we go, well, we told you. You yeah. know what you signed up for. Yeah, what'd you expect? There there, there was a warning. Yeah, this, this is going to be a big hit. I expect this to just deliver immediate revenue and good numbers for our podcast as we just say, yeah, fuck it. You're, you're not getting anything from us anymore. Accept it. I'm not I'm not saying fuck it. I'm I'm still trying. I'm still here. But there are some things that are out of my control, you know? That's fair. That's there's things outside of all of our control and I guess it is within your control to listen to this podcast and you've made the choice. At this point you've already pushed play. Why leave? Just stay with us. See what happens. Yeah, maybe it'll be a full train wreck, maybe a half train wreck. Maybe it'll actually be one of our best episodes ever. Nobody maybe. knows. Or maybe you're just trapped in your car on the freeway in bumper to bumper traffic and you got nothing else to do. No, no other places to be. So. No, there's there's no other podcasts out there. Like there's definitely not millions of them that you could be listening to instead. Well, you are stuck I, with us. That I unironically agree with. <laughs> That's interesting. You have no podcasts in your rotation right now? I, I think I have like five saved, but I don't listen to them often. Okay. I'm yeah, sure that the, I'm sure that there are good ones, but I haven't taken the plunge. Much much like I haven't looked up like what new music came out in like the last two years or whatever. It's like I'm sure I'm missing out, but whatever. Hmm. I've got some good music for you. We'll we'll talk about that at some point. But <laughs> yeah, I, I, okay, hold on. Your last music recommendation was not good, but it got me to listen to the their older stuff, which was really good, and I hadn't listened to in a long time, which is Alexis on Fire. So thank you for that because that was a nice little nostalgia kick that I needed. Good. I'm I'm glad I had that effect on you. I I think that album is incredible. It, it's cool though. I like I don't I don't really like doing the debate thing where I'm like you should like this album. I. I just don't feel that way about music. Like it's totally fine if you hate something. And uh, yeah, I really also like you it. and I like kind of the same stuff, but also wildly different stuff within those genres. Yeah. We, it's weird. We both like have like that post hardcore lean to us. Like I often think of that as one of my favorite genres and a lot of your favorite bands are in that space. But as far as like the artists that we really gravitate towards, we, we do have a lot of differentiation within those genres. So I, I love post-hardcore, and it was really weird to me. There was, there was some open, uh, I think it was a team open, where I was talking to Chris Pakula, and at some point, metal came up because it's Chris, right? Mm -hmm. And I don't know if he was just like, well, you know, like, what kind of music do you listen to? And I said post-hardcore, and he's like, what the hell is that? Well, that, that's part like, of the problem with post-hardcore, though, is like, I can't answer that question. Like, I sort of know it when I hear it, but it's so nebulous of a genre. Like it encompasses so many things at this point that it's, it's almost a little silly. Yeah. I mean the, the way I would describe it would be in more of like a classical sense rather than, Oh, this doesn't really fit a category. I'll just blanket it post hardcore and 
no one's going to blink at it or whatever. It was just weird to me that Chris, who is like a metalhead, would not know. But I guess, you know, if he's only at like the tippy top of like the raw, raw, raw metal and just like doesn't even try anything else, then I guess I kind of get it. But it was still for for whatever reason, I, it was so peculiar to me that I remember it, you know? He he does try a lot of stuff though, and I, I actually like we we talk about music from time to time. I do know he's like a pretty big Code Orange fan, which I I would put in like the post hardcore genre. I don't know if everyone else would honestly. I like that would just be where I would have them. So again, a lot of nebulousness around defining these musical genres. Anyway, Magic the Gathering cards. Ah, yeah, right, right, right. Forgot about R- RCQs still going on. Went to one last weekend. I have I have many thoughts despite only being there for four rounds. Uh, I can't play because I won one just in case anyone was not aware of that or not aware of the rule or whatever. And I also heard that the rules are different in like different regions. So uh, oh, that's interesting. Yeah. For, for me, I cannot play. So uh, mostly going to Railbird and hang out with people and try try and like, you know, give some advice, some light coaching adjacent things like work on a deck list during the week and then make the sideboard guide on the way up. And, uh, for, you know, Josh show, I was like watching some of his games whenever I felt like it and making some notes and it's just like, yeah, you know, like your three, like pretty minor things you did, but yeah, this is just like the stuff that I saw. Otherwise you did great. And then just like, I, I hope that that sort of stuff helps, you know, and I, I kind of do like doing that. I, I can't stand to do it every single round because mm. ADHD, you just like get bored. You know, there's going to be something shiny that, that catches the corner of my eye. Right. Yep. And then I'm just going. Yep. So can, I can do like a game every couple rounds. Uh, but yeah, that, that was cool. Unfortunately, the boys didn't do so hot. Maybe we'll get them next time. Maybe we won't. It's really weird bouncing between pioneer and modern a lot. I figured out some stuff for modern, like I would still be playing four color. And if you are an, is it Merktide person? I think you should just be playing Grixis Death Shadow instead for a lot of reasons. I have an article that's basically done and I think I should probably post it tonight when we're recording on Thursday. So hopefully that'll be up by the time the podcast goes up and people can look at that and then I'll have a wonderful little sideboard guide and everything too. Nice. I look forward to that. Of course, arenadecklist.gg, where you can find that. Check it out. Yeah. Or .com. That redirects. It's fine. Uh, So yeah, don't want to spend too much time on that. There's also Magic 30 in Las Vegas in October. Is that correct? Yeah. Right around my birthday time, actually, uh, as I will be celebrating Brian 40. Oh, no. I was going to say, I was going to say, wow, you're also turning 30. Congratulations. Yeah, I, I wish. When I was a kid, my, my mom was always 29. So, yeah, I, I understand the value of that now. And I, like, I don't, I don't mind aging. I like, am, have made pretty good peace with it. Like I am accepting of my body decaying and like generally looking shittier, like all those things I, I don't really fight back against. Like I'm never going to be the person who you're like, wow, Brian, Brian got a lot of plastic surgery to fight aging. I'm just like, nah, I'm going to get old. I'm cool with it. But 40 is a lot, man. It's it's really it's really testing my vibe of just like taking it in stride and it it just feels so old. Like that was always the cutoff for old person for me. Like when you were over 40, you were old. Period. I I agree with that and I'm 38 currently and it's just like, "Oh, uh, crap. You know, this feels bad." 
I remember turning 30 and feeling like, oh, I can't really identify as like a young person anymore. Yep. And, you know, people say that like your your 20s are okay, but your your 30s are better and like your 40s are better than that or whatever. And it's like, I don't know, I'm, I'm still in my 30s, but so far that's mostly been true, right? Like the last three years or whatever have been absolute shit for me. But despite that, I think my 30s were better than my 20s. So yep. I don't know. Maybe the forties are going to suck. Who knows? Yeah, we'll see. I, you know, I, I do my best to try and keep things moving forward, and you know, I have a lot of good projects in the works these days. So hopefully, forty will be exciting and offer something new. This actually makes me think of a meme I saw today. Someone shared it to one of my discords. It was from Channel Fireball originally. It looks like a Facebook post. Uh, it's a picture of Cabal Coffers, Mirari, Chainer's Edict, corrupt. I see these pictures, I get real excited because we're talking mono black control, Odyssey. That was it. Form, that was your jam. Era. That was that was my shit. That's what got me back in to competitive magic. Unfortunately, what does not get me hyped is the rest of it. Uh, as the post says, if you played these cards at an FNM, it's time to schedule a colonoscopy. Which Ooh. yeah, probably <laughs> probably correct. Like you're spot on, Channel Fireball. It's yeah. weird. It's weird to have a bunch of mono black cards and then a random Marari's wake. Right? No, no, Mirari. Mirari. Actual Mirari. Oh, no. So Edict Coffers, Mirari. And then I, I thought there was a Mirari's Wake in there. Too. No, C- Corrupt is the last card. Oh, Corrupt. Okay. Yeah. 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 Just yeah. only mono black cards. Yeah. Well, yeah. I guess like Corrupt was in that standard format, but you still didn't play a ton of it, right? I, I played it in my mono black deck. I mean, I, I don't know if that was the default, but definitely like copying Corrupt with Mirari off Cobble Coffers were, was how you won a lot of games. Yeah, I feel like that was a card that we were playing like two or three of or something. Like it was, and it was maybe even in and out of the deck or like shaved down to a one of at some point. I don't really remember. You know, almost 40. Mine's going. What are you going to do? Yeah, a lot of reasons not to remember the specifics of that mono black control deck. But yeah, good good beats channel fireball. Mm -hmm. Yeah, nice maybe. Well, okay, so we we got Brian 40 out of the way. How how are you feeling about Magic 30? Uh, Yeah, so it's complicated. I... I'm excited for like a big, cool magic event that offers a lot of stuff for people. I think it mostly does not offer what I want from magic, which sucks because, you know, I guess I wish magic 30 did a better job celebrating like all of magic's history. And it feels like it's, it feels like it's very geared toward this moment in magic. Like it's got secret layer attached to it and a large commander focus. It, it, feels like a celebration of the moment of magic rather than the entirety of magic, despite there being like a bunch of like throwback sealed events, which is cool. I I like that as a shout out, but some aspect of the history of magic is missing for me, at least as it's being presented right now. Well, let me push back on that a little bit. Do you think that this, so I get this, your, you know, 30th birthday celebration or whatever, but for say, for example, like your 30th birthday celebration, aren't you supposed to be like celebrating the fact that like, you're here and this is, you know, your current friends and family and loved ones and celebrating kind of the moment, not necessarily talking about how it was cool when you were like 12 and playing baseball or whatever. Well, you know what I mean? I don't know. I like, that's an interesting question. I actually just went to a 40th birthday weekend for one of my friends and we got together in a cabin in Vermont. And, you know, there's some of us from like our core friend group, we're still in touch very regularly but there's a couple of people we don't see. And I'm talking like from my high school friends, a couple of people we don't see all that regularly. And they were 
at this event and it very much felt like reliving kind of the things we did in the past was what was it was the way we wanted to spend that moment, like talk about what we did uh, when we were young and stupid and kind of do some of those young and stupid things again. Now that we're in each other's company, uh, play the card games we used to play 20 years ago. And it's weird. Like there, there is an element of nostalgia to a birthday celebration, I think. Right. Like it's not just supposed to be moving forward. So you can make an argument both ways. All I'm saying is that unless, I mean, they did kind of, say it was like celebrating the history of magic or whatever, but I still wasn't even expecting that much. And they're doing some amount of throwback stuff. Like you said, it's just like, I, I don't know if you're supposed to expect like everything. Right. I mean, there's some, some amount yeah. of the big sealed stuff, but like say they did stuff from like every block or, you know, the super sealed stuff where it's like every set of invasion or whatever, like there's diminishing returns on that stuff. Like you can offer some of it, but it's like, how many people are you going to get for like the onslaught block sealed event or whatever? And at that point, is it even like it exists, you know? Yeah. I, I guess I wish there was like a vintage tournament. And there like, are not, but like, not big ones. Yeah. I, I guess I want it to be a focal point, but it's, it was never going to be like, that's not realistic. Like I am trying to reverse engineer a magic, like what my magic 30 celebration will look like. Right. And that was never going to be the thing presented here, which is why I'm like, not mad about it. It's just like, it is what it is. I don't have any interest in going really like nothing here appeals to me all that much. I don't really want to go to Vegas. I don't want the almost inevitable COVID that would come from it. Although props for requiring vaccination or negative test and masks the entire time. I, that yep. is like, Plus and surprise. Yeah, Plus I, was, and surprise. I was very happy to see that. And I think that is uh, because Wizards is putting on this tournament themselves, at least as far as I can turn. Like they're doing it with some partnerships, but very much leading the charge and uh, very, very happy to see that. So big thumbs up there. Other thing that I actually was happy to see that's going to be kind of weird for me to praise given sort of like my political leanings and my overarching goals for accessibility of the game. God bless capitalism. This is a really expensive event. (laughs) Really expensive. I think it needs to be. I think that's the only way something like this can exist at this point. Like if you're, if you're going to shift towards this con model and you don't have the infrastructure in place to support the competitive con and all the churn of cards that comes with it. And the fact that it's like motivating a huge portion of your sales that people cycle through their standard collection every single quarter. And without all of these things, these have to be presented as cons. Now, are they giving enough for the dollar value in terms of like, if this is a con, what are you putting forth? I I don't know how to answer that. Like that, that's always going to be a question that depends on what you value. To me, the answer is no, like they're not giving me enough. I looked at what? those bags, the things that they're giving away with like the badges and stuff. And I was just yeah. like, nah, it's yeah. just like cleaning out your closet kind of garbage. Right. I felt the same way. Some people are going to feel differently and that's fine. But what it ultimately comes down to is that there is no reason for something like this to exist. If it can't make money on selling tickets to it, it it'll just never exist again. And that's a function of where we are as far as competitive magic, how magic cards are being sold, who the audience is for magic. This is what it has to be for these events to happen. And they are absolutely extreme luxury events at this point, but that's all they can be for a luxury hobby to have this luxury event tied to it. It it all is very exclusionary and shitty. And I wish everyone could participate, but 
that's not the reality of what we're dealing with here. And I, I just think they have to be this expensive to exist. And it's frustrating that that's my answer, but it is. So I don't like the fact that you're putting up another barrier to entry, which in this case is cost. But let's be honest, all of these events were expensive. You know, you ever want to go to a GP in Vegas, especially if you had to fly, which yeah. is the most, the, the majority of people, right? It's going to be really expensive. I mean, f- flights to Vegas used to be pretty cheap, I guess. But, you know, then you're still looking at like hotel and like four days of like, you know, eating at $20 buffets or whatever. And yeah, it's like that stuff adds up really quickly. And I, I totally agree with you where if it wasn't expensive, we just wouldn't have it at all. Right. Like they've already clearly shown, you know, like we're not doing Grand Prix anymore. Right. There's the occasional event that sort of resembles a GP. And then there's like the Command Fest sort of stuff, which is a much smaller scale. And I think we're kind of getting to the point now where you can reasonably charge for like, you know, ticket or badge entry or something. But Magic players didn't grow up on that. So then when events first started having that, people were just like, what the hell is this crap? You know, it also feels like there's just going to be a lot of stuff going on and they have a lot of stuff planned and all that stuff does require bandwidth and people's time and all that stuff takes money. And, you know, should should they be making like millions of dollars off the event? Uh, you know, probably not, but I also don't think they're going to still. So they're just yeah. trying to make it as cool as possible and not box out as many people as possible. And they're also doing the thing where you like, you know, if you're you know, underrepresented gender or minority or whatever, it's like they have the little things that you can fill out. Yep. You remember seeing this? Yep, I do. And I, I appreciate it. I think it's, you know. I don't remember exactly like what it's called or whatever, but it's, it's like that that stuff should have existed for forever. And the fact that they recognize that, Hey, cost might be a barrier here. Like what can we do to alleviate that? Awesome. Yeah. It's it's a bit of a bandaid on a bullet wound, but like it is, but it's it's, it's something dude. It's something they could have done. Nothing. We're, we're used to them doing nothing. Yep. And this is also the beginning, right? Maybe this is just the thing that, gets them good press and PR and people love it and they expand it into the future and do more stuff with it. Right. Or maybe people are just like good and then don't say anything. And then they just take it away for the next thing. I don't know, but either way they're trying it and applause, you know, I I really appreciate it. Yep. There, There needs to be a new model for like magic cons going forward. And you're seeing some of this attempted in Europe under the PTQ system to disastrous results. Like people are not pleased with the state of the quasi Grand Prix in Europe in both terms of cost and prizes offered and communication and just just a lot of complaints. I think that's just the reality of the, the world we're in. You disincentivized these groups that sort of built their identity around running high quality cons, competitive events for years and years and at a reasonable cost and sort of were willing to do it as a break even thing because they could go and they could sell booth space and they could sell their own inventory and they can acquire more. Like these were all very important parts of the process for a lot of entities that were built around this sort of farm system. And when it's not a farm system and it's sort of a monopoly and it's owned by one company that's calling the shots, there's there's got to be a different approach, a different setup. And you're seeing that now 
it's not great. It's not perfect, but I, I do think it's how things have to be if this is going to continue. Yeah. And I mean, it's not like GPs would come back and then they would all have this model because they're just not going to try and blow out every single event like this. Right. So right. like, yeah, yeah, it's, it's expensive, but also there are going to be other events that are not as expensive. Right. Yeah. And, and f- like to your point of the, a, a lot of the expense with these things were always tied in the ancillary stuff, the flights, the accommodations, the food away from home, the cards you had to buy to participate. So they were already so firmly entrenched in like a luxury good that at least now they're acting like a luxury good. If I'm going to invest $500 in a plane ticket, $800 in my hotel for the weekend, you better give me a bunch of shit. And like the $200 that I'm paying to do that thing kind of pales in the face of this broader expenditure I paid to even get here. So I get it. I I get rebalancing things. And I I also get why people are going to be frustrated about it. But yeah, I mean, I I think a lot of people look at it like, well, I already had to do the flight and hotel stuff and that was already a lot. And now you're adding on top of it. And it was like barely doable for me to do before. And now I'm priced out and it's like, yeah, yeah. I understand. I I really do. From, from my perspective, like once I was in for the $800 worth of travel, I, I would much rather pay a hundred dollars for the GP and you pre-sort my pool and uh, have ample seating and have food vendors on site than pay $20 for a GP and have it start two hours late and be crammed shoulder to shoulder. shoulder And like, it's just not worth it to me at that point. So it's a question of priorities. It's a question of what the system is designed to do. And when it was designed to foster this semi-pro circuit, you could make a case for it being you know, $20 GPs are the priorities because we're going to load 10 people in a van and sleep in it and chase this dream of being a professional magic player. It's, like, it's funny that you talk about 20 people in a van and just a very distinct memory pops into my head of that happening. I, I'm sure. I, it wasn't a rare thing. It happened on a fairly regular basis. And then you crashed at some random's house on their floor and that's that's your accommodation. And there's, there's no reason for anyone to do that anymore. That's what it comes down to. Like there's, there's nothing to chase under those circumstances. So it has to re-identify as a luxury good. Yeah. And I mean, plus there's, there's just like a lot, a lot of cool stuff that is unique happening here. Right. I think so. So. They're certainly trying to make a memorable event. And for a lot of people, I think they're going to deliver on that. Modern events with top eight beta booster draft. Yep. That's the, that's the type of stuff that really made me hungry back in the day. Like that was the stuff that I wanted to chase. Once in a lifetime experiences. I think that's a a huge, huge win uh, as far as like that should be your flagship event without a doubt. Uh, I mean, yeah, they say that and it's just like, I don't know. I already did a beta P3K like FBB something, you know, like definitely like a a step below or whatever, but it's like, I don't know. I, I did like a beta draft, you know, it's not, not once in a lifetime for me, but I would happily repeat it. Yeah, you're you're one like you're in the point zero 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 one percent of people who have done that. So yeah, open to buy you at the time for perspective, it was worth about a hundred dollars. Big score. Yeah, it sat in one of my boxes for like six months. I kept, you know, I was going to GPS and whatnot and showing it to vendors, and they kept offering me like sixty bucks. I was like, oh come on, you know, it's like. 
it's like 120 it's it's like beta it's almost just like dead mint right and then eventually i just got sick of like carrying it around and like going to the vendors every time i just like sold it for 80 whatever i'll just get rid of this thing who cares heartbroken (laughs) i don't know i have the story right i have the story that i think makes a lot of people just like feel the physical pain yeah yeah, my, so, my chest kind of hurts right now. Hopefully I'm not dying of a heart attack. I am almost 40, so that's it. But I, I, I felt it. I felt it right here. That's a sign of empathy. Uh, do you do you like cringe when a character on a TV show gets embarrassed? Yeah, I won't watch things like that, actually. Yep, same. It's, it, it's why I mostly only watch animated shows, because I internalize so many of the things mm. that are happening to the characters, if they are like live action characters. I, yeah. I don't do the same thing with uh, animated characters. It's a sign of empathy, just so you know. Yeah, it sucks. Yeah, it's, it's, it makes it makes tell it hard me about to just it. chill and watch TV. Tell me about it. Uh, yeah, I don't. I don't understand how people can just like sit there and watch that stuff and either like laugh or not feel bad. I'm just like you're a monster. See, I I have more of a tolerance for that than like the brutal, violent stuff. Like, I would so much rather have mm. the cringy humor than. Uh, you know, something like Game of Thrones, which, you know, I'm very clearly in the nerd bracket. I'm expected to have loved Game of Thrones for a while and then hate it by the end like everyone else. Yeah, um, of course. I, I just didn't participate, though. I, I didn't watch it. It was, like, too painful for me to watch. Hmm. Maybe I was exposed to too much TV violence as a child. I'm numb to it now. Maybe, but I had the same exposure, and I I didn't mind it when I was younger. So, I like develop somewhere along the way okay i don't know it's weird uh magic 30 lukewarm feelings i think ups ups and downs so i would i think people that can afford to go or that are gonna get their voucher or whatever are gonna have a good time and i'm happy about that i'm sad for the folks that want to go and are priced out that absolutely sucks i hope that there is a more affordable event coming to your area soon Given the state of things, maybe maybe that's not the case. But you know, maybe you can take the six, eight, you know, thousand dollars, whatever that you would spend on flight and hotel, and do something better with it. You know, something maybe tangible that you can have for a while that would give you a lot of enjoyment. Who knows? Yeah. What do you think of like paying to play more casual formats in general? Like paying to enter and edh pod obviously this is not tailored towards us like it's not something you and i you or i would ever do but it's really hard for me to comprehend why anyone signs up for this experience like like why are you paying for the privilege of playing this casual format against people you don't know like you you can just do that you can just sit at a table and be like hey you do you want to play this game and then you're doing it it's just hard for me to wrap my head around. I don't really understand why these things exist. Like paying to enter the command zone doesn't make sense to me. Uh, it does to me because, I don't know, man, you go to a party, they charge you cover, right? And what you're is a party? you're something. Yeah. You're, you're, you're exactly. getting like booze or. No, you're getting entertainment. And if the booze is a requisite for you actually having fun, then Okay. You know, like then that that should be yeah, a party. You should probably have booze if that's what you need. But when you go to a con, it's the same thing where you're 
they are paying to get everyone together in the same place. And then at that point, it's like, well, you should pay for the privilege of having someone else get all of your friends in the same place. I think that I think that if you want to just like go to an LGS and use their tabletop stuff, like their 40K stuff or use their table space for commanders and stuff, I think that it should be normalized that stores can just like charge you money for that. Or, or at the very least, the players know that they're just using the store space for free and then be more open to the idea of just like buying drinks or chips or cards or whatever, you know? Yeah. I, I don't, I don't disagree with that. I, I guess like, so you're paying for table space, man. And you're paying for the party, you know, someone else paid to throw this party. Like what the hell, what do you mean? Yeah. But you've already paid for the party. That's, that's the thing that's like kind of weird to me is that you pay to enter this event and then you pay an additional fee to enter the command zone at this event. Well, they could just charge you for everything up top or they could be like, well, if you're, if you're not going for commander, maybe you don't want to pay for the command zone. So yeah, it adds an extra step and makes it kind of weird or whatever, but say I want to pay a hundred dollars or whatever, uh, a badges to play some of the modern events or something but instead they want to charge me like 120 so that everyone else can play commander. That's kind of weird to me. I'm thinking I'm, I'm processing. I'm considering changing my opinion, but I'm going to wait for, for now. It still feels weird to me. You make good points and I'm going to think about them and maybe I will come back with a different opinion. Also, like even logically, if you're just like, well, this is silly. Let's just all go sit at a table in the lobby or whatever. Like, yeah, I guess you don't have to, pay for that but it should just be sort of normalized that you're you know using their venue and their table space that you should just rent it you know yeah i I guess i just like want to look for a clear service that they're providing and maybe it is as simple as just like we put you in a pot and pair you and that's worth it actually like that the experience of creating like an almost mixer is worth yeah. it. I, it's really hard for me because like you are actively describing my nightmare. Like I, I do not want you to subject me to random people. I do not know to play a game that is extremely like political in its nature and very much focused on like relationship management. Like this just sounds like you are trying to torture me. No, so, what you're describing is I don't want to play commander. But yeah. if if someone already wants to play commander, right. and then say I, they, I agree, I agree. So I I think it is good to have to offer some amount of service that like pairs you with other people or like gets you together with those people when maybe you flew in by yourself and don't know any people, but like do want to make friends and get to meet people. It's like really hard. Like this is this is just like a thing for all the command fests, right? Is where you're a person who is not a big community member and you go to a command fest and it's just like, it's the haves and have nots, man. It's so hard to like get ingratiated into those groups. If you're not friend, friend of a friend. So at that point, like how do you meet people? And then even if you're a a CAG member or something, you're hanging out with all of the other like Twitter personalities or CAG people or whatever. And that just means you have even less time to interact with the people who are just there to play commander and like are not community members. So it's, it's a, it's a problem on both sides. Like it's, it's pretty bad actually. Yeah. I, I, I was presenting like my view of it, not as a, I am correct. You are wrong. It just says I, I am fundamentally broken and do not view things this way. And yeah, that is would, why I'm having commander. a hard time. I, I don't think I can. I, I really don't like 
I think I could build commander decks. I think I could pretty happily build commander decks and enjoy the process. I so, do not think I would take any enjoyment out of playing a commander game. So what if you wanted to play like ultimate or something and you like, you know, you just move to a place. It's like, are you expected to bring an entire team with you to play? No, they'll just like, you know, put you on someone's team or whatever. Right. Yeah. That's the best way to do things. That's what the, the commander stuff is offering. That's a, that's a good way of looking at it. That's a good way of looking at it. And I am, I'm happy that exists for people who want that service. Yeah. And you're just like, I don't want to play Frisbee. So like, why would they, I don't right. want to, you know, why would they put me on a team or whatever? It's like, no, nah, dude, you're, you're skipping a step. You know, I, I am as I often am with magic these days. Uh, you know, it's a product not, not geared to me. So it makes sense that I would have a hard time wrapping my head around it. Yeah, it's okay. I mean, better, better to ask me now than to just ask people on Twitter and just get obliterated. Oh, I, I just don't want to ask anyone anything on Twitter ever again, basically. I just don't want to put myself out there to be obliterated. And and when I do something that I know has the potential to let someone obliterate me, I just insta-mute. Like, I'm, I'm just shooting it into the void, and I'm not even accepting feedback on it, so. Is that chaotic nope. evil or chaotic neutral? It, it is. I think it is. <laughs> I want to view it as chaotic good because I, I want to... <laughs> I want to say like doing that inspires people to question their own beliefs and like formulate more nuanced takes on things. I don't think that's what that's, it's actually doing. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. the fact that you use that as a justification where you're just Means like, it's oh, probably evil. Yeah. You're definitely evil. Okay. Definitely yeah. Evil. People have been calling me evil a lot lately and I sort of resist it. Like nobody wants to be evil. I do think there is some evil inherent in me though. Like I'm kind of like, when are you going to have your are we the baddies moment? Yeah, I think I'm just like evil with a heart of gold. Like I I want good outcomes for everyone, but the way I get them, it's just kind of like a little self-serving and a little like I want to sit back and laugh a little bit as as people struggle to get to the good outcomes, but I want them to get to the good place eventually. I I just am like purposefully yeah, if- pushing them there in a roundabout way, I guess. You're just like, well, if 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 I'm going to help them out, I might as well enjoy a show. Yeah. No, I, that's that's kind of how I look at it. And um, the, that's pretty evil. The ends justify the means. Yeah. I think it, yeah. I think it's more chaotic than than evil, but it is almost certainly both. Anyway, I'm not a D and D expert or anything. Yeah. Uh, you want to? I, I would like action? though, if we do have D and D experts, I, I would like to know where you assign me on the alignment chart. I, I think that's a very interesting question. Like I said, I would want to assign myself chaotic good. I have a feeling that it's not the actual assignment I will get back. I don't know, man. It's like your your Twitter feed is half, you know, you feeding random goats and, you know, putting frogs safely into your pond or whatever. It's like, oh yeah, lawful good all the way, all the way, right? And then the other half is you lighting fires and then walking away. Yep. Uh, yep. And it's like, huh. Interesting. <laughs> it's a real conundrum, real conundrum to place. Just depends on how you're feeling, you know? That's true. Yeah. A little bit of uh, a maniacal side as well, where it just swings very uh, dramatically across personalities. All right. Magic the gap. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Modern challenges. Interesting uh, this week. Really interesting results in these modern challenges. Yeah, which is, I guess, a, a weird way of saying... The good decks all cost $1,200, so you can't rent them. Maybe it is that simple. <laughs> I think I have a modern RCQ this weekend. And okay. 
I, still four I, color. I don't. I don't know if I'm actually gonna go. Okay. Um, I think two days ago I probably would have gone, but now I'm just like, yeah, maybe I should just stay home at this point. But yeah, I, I would still recommend four color. And I have, I have people asking me, it's like, look, unless you have a good idea of what you're going to play against. Like, Oh, maybe you expect a little bit more hammers. You want some force of vigors or whatever. Maybe you don't expect as much cascade. You can trim on the third chalice. Maybe you expect a lot of burn, blah, blah, blah. Other than that, I still like my list. Yeah. I wouldn't change much if anything. And then I see people take my list and just change everything. (laughs) Yeah. You know, it's, it's funny oftentimes. And, and it's been, a few years now since this has happened to me, but oftentimes you come up with a good deck, right? And you win a tournament or you do well. And the first question you get is like, what changes? What changes? What changes? I'm like, why are we changing things? You don't, you don't always have to change things. Like if you, if you have figured something out and things have not adjusted to compensate for the things you have figured out, you don't have to reinvent the wheel on a week to week basis. Like it is completely reasonable to stand pat and force people to come to you. And I, I don't see anything where like people are actually coming to you at this point. I think the format is far too open yeah. and just not changing that quickly. I agree with that, but I also think it's a very rare scenario to encounter and typically happens in non-rotating formats where the metagames can't move as quickly. But it's also a question of scale too. Like I, I find when people ask that question, they're like expecting fundamental shifts in like deck building and what your goals are. Whereas I'm like, Oh, I'm going to play naturalized instead of natural state. And like, that is, that is a valid, I mean, maybe not that specific one, but like small changes to that degree are just as much as a shift as when you're saying like, I have good plans, but this is going to change. So here's how I'm going to adjust. And people are often somewhat disappointed by the fact that like, Oh, I'm changing a sideboard card. That's a meaningful change. Like that is, that is very much considering things. And I, I think you're right that it's, very very rare that you're just like 75 stand pat nothing changes but the fact that like are you all of a sudden playing counterspell this weekend are you not a traverse deck anymore no nothing has really altered that would make you move in that direction so no and for the most part it, it even if i win a tournament there's almost always something where i'm like you know, this this could have been better. This could have been improved. Sure. I didn't like how yep. I was sideboarding in this matchup. Like this plan was not good or like this matchup needs an extra card. And and this time I, I just ginned it, man. Like, what do you want from me? Yep. You know, I played I played seven games after, you know, three months of theory or whatever. And I just had it down. Yeah. And that that's a result that can happen. And I think because it's so rare, people sort of push back against that happening. But yeah, I, I totally I identify with the idea that you don't need to make any changes here and you're just pretty close to what you're doing before with some sideboard tweaks. So back to the, the three months ago thing where I was like, Hey, there's this risen reef version and there's this counterspell version uh, with, with traverse that people are playing on magic online. I think that if you put the traverses in the risen reef deck, it gets really good. And then crickets, right. Just for, for months. And every couple of weeks I would talk about it uh, or, you know, I wouldn't, force it into the conversation it would just kind of come up organically but i'm like hey pretty sure this is busted pretty sure this is busted no one ever did anything with it whatever yeah and the the original idea for it was uh playing against a japanese player on magic online who i mean the the risen reef one basically does kind of the same stuff where they were using season pyromancer alongside ephemerates and i i just got annihilated because they were 
proactive and had a bunch of card advantage and I'm trying to like thought seize them or whatever. Yeah. It's just comical. And then assuming you play a mirror match or something, they just have this like absurd engine and that sort of thing seemed really good to me. But then the risen reef one started popping up and I was like, Whoa, if you get traversed with risen reef, I think this is like better than the pyromancer stuff. So like the, the OOG one that I had was season pyromancer. And that is a thing that I've kind of been working on a little bit. If people are, you know, adding more furies or playing Supreme Verdict main in their their four color decks because it cleans up all the Risen Reefs and stuff. It's like if people start fighting you on that access, it's like, well, I don't know. We, we have the solution to that. We could go back to Season Pyromancer. That's completely fine. Yep. Yeah. Good to have that in your pocket for sure. But yeah, I would not pull that out now. I'm just saying I'm, it's not like I'm not thinking about stuff. Right. And Cedric messaged me this week and was just like, you know, ship the list. I was like, dude, same 75. But like, here are the five slots that you could mess around with if you feel really strongly like you want some Force of Vickers or whatever, right? But yep. it, it's when it's good, it's good. And no one else is doing anything to fight you. So what the hell? You know, it's not like new decks are really popping up that you think are going to be big portions of the metagame. There are all these two modern challenges, which I guess we can get into now. And yeah, because I, I think the first one transitions really well from this because uh, it does, because this is another thing I've been thinking about. So, yeah, uh, first place, Bill's Ive, the Cascade Glimpse of Tomorrow deck with no Yorian and they have white for Omnath, but that's it. So yep. no Teferi's, no Solitudes. And this always struck me as a potential option, too, because you're still doing risen reef alongside a bunch of pitch elemental stuff and there are definitely metagames where this thing is better right because you have kind of like this combo kill and you have a lot more power and against stuff like tron i mean if they're kind of like beating you up a little bit you have comeback mechanisms you have ways to just like blow them out of the water right so this is a way that you could also just like potentially go over the top of the traditional risen reef mirror matches yeah it looks very much like in the same vein as oh, I have Traverse, Risen Reef, Ephemerate in my four-color deck now, except it's sort of taking it to its absolute extreme and just being like, I do this engine better than anyone else does, and nobody can really contest that. And I, I still get the interaction via Endurance, via Fury, via these quasi-interactive cards that double as part of my engine and payoffs for my engine as well. So it's doing the, the both sides thing very, very well. I think this deck is cool. I could honestly see myself playing this in a modern tournament because it has some of that like vomit my hand type vibe to it where it's just like, here's my stuff and it's really good and I don't know what you're going to do if I'm able to keep this engine going. Uh, right. Not even keep it going, like just do it once. The, the advantage is so huge that it's hard for really any deck to play through it. So when things are happening like chalices are being trimmed because there hasn't been a bunch of cascade in the format recently and counter magic is at a low because you have a deck list that's making people kind of question uh whether counter spell is worth it this looks like a really smart shift and i'm i'm not surprised at all that this deck was able to win this tournament yeah it's interesting because this one has four chancellor of the forge and i haven't seen that in every single list and mm -hmm. it's very much a combo-y card where the ways that I would want to build this are just like mid-range first and then combo, not with a way to like try and OTK people necessarily, but it's just like, I don't know, you combo and like draw a bunch of cards, make a big board presence, gain some life, whatever. Like that's usually good enough. But this one is like, no, we actually need to kill on the same turn. So we're playing four chancellors. And yeah, obviously yeah. Ch chancellor doubles as another permanent 
if it's in your hand, right, you get yep. like the one one token. So I guess it kind of helps there, but it just it doesn't feel like a necessity to me necessarily. Uh, I don't know. I don't know enough to comment on that. I, I think it's interesting. Uh, I also think like playing season Pyromancer in that spot is interesting for like a lot of the reasons you described previously. So I I really don't have any preference as to which one I would want to play. I, I would try them both. But I just think either way, you're kind of accomplishing these goals and you're presenting this really, really difficult battlefield state for other decks to deal with. And it's cool as hell. I, I think this is an awesome choice. Add a land. 26 land, yeah. Always, yeah. always safe adding a land, right? It's very rare that that's a bad decision. 25 is not a lot. You you want to get to three. You have four colony gardens, which you need. And then if you draw two green sources, two lands that only make green, it's pretty awkward on your Omnath. So you kind of want extra lands there. You have Risen Reef that kind of wants to hit lands. You know, it's a lot. You, you just have like a lot of reasons to play an yep. extra land, I think. Do you see a cut in this list? Something you think you get away with three copies of or... I would probably cut the Chancellors, play like three Pyros and another land. Okay. Seems very reasonable. That, that's off, you know, less than zero testing. So. Yep. Yep. Second place, Rob Gladiator 90. Archon of Cruelty, Indomitable Creativity. Uh, got some fables in here for tokens and kind of like a backup plan. And yep. folks, folks have started playing Explorer in this deck too. It's cool. I, I like that ad. It, it makes sense from like a critical mass perspective and a you need some mana to do your stuff perspective. So not super shocked to see that included. I think this deck is fine. I think having Fable as a B plan is like really nice upgrade. Really yeah. lets you change the style of games you could play. This is a little bit more fragile than what I'm usually looking for. But again, like this is the type of deck that's going to shine as counter magic is reduced. So I'm, I'm not surprised to see this do well. It seems like the right moment for it. Third place X Rick Sanchez X, uh, Tron, nothing too spicy. Free warping whale. Always like warping whale in Tron. Cascade decks. Big problem. I think it's, I think it's a cool option to keep in mind. And then, Sideboard stuff, you know, you you have access to it via Karn the Great Creator. A lot of cool answers here. Do have your chalice. You do have things like Sundering Titan, which has become a strangely relevant card again. So, <laughs> yeah, cool stuff here. Yeah, I one of the first lists I saw after I won the RCQ was basically the same deck, except they had a Sundering Titan in the sideboard. And it's like, you asshole, you know? <laughs> Got him. It's funny because it's, it's not even necessarily better than Emrakul, right? But it's, it's, gonna like, fe- uh, it's gonna feel a lot better. Like like when you yes. get them though, you get them yeah. hard. Oh yeah, and you know we we have cavern souls too, right? So yeah, but it's still just like is is this actually necessary? Obviously it's it's good, and you get like another big thing. But like come on. Uh, anyway, uh, Tuhan fourth place, eighty card humans with Urza Saga with a pithing needle and a shadow spear. Uh, other than that, kind of normal, I guess. Like solitudes. No pyre of heroes or anything like that. Yeah, th- this does not strike me as like kind of normal, but maybe I just haven't done a good enough job keeping up with like how humans is being built right now. Like it's it's normal-ish. I think that this is probably the less popular one, but also humans is just not very popular, right? So right, right. I think that's what I'm getting at. But I I think this list is cool as hell. Like the idea of having the imperial recruiter tool bound toolbox quote-unquote toolbox like it's a very small toolbox which i appreciate by the way just like 
deputy of detention Turok, and and that's about it as far as bullets. And obviously, like just the stuff you usually play, you can go get with. So I, I like that. I, I like Adeline being a really good way to avoid some commonly played removal spells to add a little bit more threat to the deck. Eighty cards is cool. I kind of believe in the capacity for these ether vial decks to exist in that way, given legacy 80 card death and taxes. This reminds me a lot of that deck. So uh, I, I, I like this evolution of humans. This is way more interesting to me than where humans was uh, a few months ago in terms of like getting me to actually play with this deck. I like humans. If I were not qualified, I likely would have played humans in an RCQ at this point, just cause I like the deck and, and I think it's pretty reasonable right now, but it's funny because the deck has mostly phased out because it's underpowered compared to everything else. And then you're talking about going to 80 cards and it not being that bad. But the way that you win when you're underpowered is by ensuring that you have a vile or maybe even like a champion of the parish or a noble hierarch on turn one. And there are some matchups where Esper Sentinel on one is good enough. But like if you don't have a one drop, you basically have to mulligan and your deck is so much better when that one drop is ether vial compared to everything else that I don't know, man, it's just so weird to me to just be like, yeah, let's jam a Urian. Cause I really want to play Mantis Rider or whatever. And don't know what to cut. I guess what they, if already, they actually cut yeah, Mantis Rider. They cut Mantis Rider. What if your <laughs> one drop was shadow spear or pithy needle? Then yeah, you're just way uh, ahead of the game. Are you, or is that putting you even further behind the game? It's now? putting you further behind, but I just love the toolboxy nature of this deck. Like I, I'm speaking from my own desire to play the deck. Right. Something like this is way more enticing to me than like traditional humans lists where it's linear isn't exactly fair. Like humans is certainly high skill cap, a lot of decision trees. Anytime all of your spells are very similar in cost and uh, it's, you know, you have it's to still like expenditure. It's the limit poker of skill intensive though. Yeah. That's, that's you know reasonable. What I mean? There, there I, are, there are fewer decisions to make per turn per game compared to, yep. you know, four color is it or whatever. But. Yeah. And, and, but this is pushing back against that a little bit via yeah. tutoring. Anytime you're tutoring, you have a lot yes. more control and Urza saga, as well as your Imperial recruiters, just allowing you to play with your deck in your hands a little bit more, which I always appreciate. Yeah. I mean, to that end, if I were playing 80 cards, I would want to do the pyre stuff probably because it helps a little bit with that. Yeah. Okay. But yeah, I mean, obviously, if you decide that, that Pyre is just not good enough, then you don't have to. But I, I do think it is good enough, especially if you're playing against a lot of, you know, Murktide and Four Color mm-hmm. and just like grinding S- matchups. Slower decks. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. So I don't know. We're, we're debating the semantics of humans. Like, who cares? It's relevant to no one. Uh, fifth place. Yeah. Fifth place, Magical Snap. Is it Murktide? No DRCs. You remember when... Uh, this is like before Cho and I had our little playtesting sesh where I was just like, I need to figure out how many one drops you want mm-hmm. and like how many shredders and basically just the creature base. Right. Yep. And you were doing a lot of hedging for a while, like a lot of three ofs as part of your list. That's that's because it was it, I, it felt right to me. Yeah. But the real answer is if you look at how you actually win the games again, specifically, is it against four color is you win the games when you have like three threats because if you're just like clocking them with one threat, it's pretty slow and they can usually take a few hits, find a way to deal with it and then go on to stabilize from there. It's like when you have a bunch of threats early, 
you don't even need the rest of your draw to be that good. It's like a, a single counterspell might be enough to carry you there because they don't have great comeback mechanisms. So and, you're looking for more one drops in that case would be my interpretation of that. Yeah. So then that's why I recommended that Joe just play Grixis Shadow because that's that's also just a better version of a one drop Latin blue white or blue red deck. And yeah. then I had issues with Counterspell already, and then you just have like Drown instead. Thoughts he's plays good with the one drops. I was just like, yeah, this just makes sense. Like I knew that Grixis had a, a slightly better four color matchup, but then after you know playing playing the games and figuring out what your best plan to beat them was and everything, it's just like okay, yeah, this this actually just makes sense. And then also got to sort of like craft the main deck and the sideboard with ways to help that stuff out. Where it was just like, yeah, cut Gigantho, play season Pyromancer is a thing that. Uh, is proactive, makes bodies, but also gives you a little bit of card advantage and card filtering, like going into the mid to late, because sometimes the games do go long and everything. So like, mm-hmm. I think I think I figured it out as far as that is concerned. But obviously, you're not expecting a lot of four color, uh, cutting the DRCs, playing like Max Shredders, like that's just going to make you a little bit more robust in mirrors and stuff. So I get it. But then you play against something like Living End, and it's like Shredder, Murktide, those threats suck. They're so slow. Yeah, uh, it makes sense what you're saying. I don't know. Whatever. Do do what you want to do, but I'd be curious to hear the rationale for the folks that are like not playing DRC and what they thought that that plan was best against that they were kind of hedging against, you know, because yeah, maybe it is like, oh, you know, you just need to beat mirror matches or whatever. And it's like, okay, cool. I, I buy that. I, I completely endorse that. But if you're like, oh, I expected a lot of four color and living in, it's just like, yeah, then why'd you do this? Yeah. Uh, good question. Yeah, I don't know. Deck, deck fine. Prefer Grixis slightly, but metagame call. Good number of copies of uh, is it this week across these two challenges. We're going to see a lot more of it, which is interesting given like how I'm talking about how I believe the first and second place decks to be like particularly well positioned when counter magic becomes less of a thing. But if you actually look at how this bracket breaks down, they just did a good job of dodging these decks for the most part in the top eight. So I'd be interested to know their path to these eventual first and second place finishes. But I, I still kind of read it as these are decks that do a really good job when there's not a lot of counter spells. It's just weird that there are a lot of counter spells in this top eight. Yeah, I mean, I don't think they're as cold to a counter spell as you're kind of making it out to be. No, no, I, and that's not my intent. I don't mean to make them cold. It's just like if they have a moment where you want to generate or gravitate towards this type of strategy, it is when counterspells are being played less. And it, that's yeah. a weird thing to say when there's a bunch of counterspells in the stop. Eight, yeah, so. fair enough. All right. Uh, sixth place, How N, Blue White, Hammer, you know, cutting, shaving on the zero drops, being a little bit more robust, having a reality chip. Uh, this this all seems pretty normal to me. Yep. No, nothing really exciting to report here. I watched Cho play some games with Mono White Hammer, uh, the one that like Crusher bought won a challenge with or got like first yep. and second in challenges with. Yep. And it's affinity, but just like to the nines where sometimes your draws are just unplayable. And then there are other times where it's like, yeah, this is the best deck in the format, not close. Unbeatable. Yeah. Yeah. yeah there's, there's always place in formats for those kind of like high variant strategies, as long as the ceiling's high enough. Yeah. I think, I think the hammer's good. A lot of folks not playing a ton of force of vigors and just not respecting the archetype in general. So Yep. That's why we're kind of like dipping our toes in the waters. Like, how's this feel? Uh, seventh place, Ode, Danielakos, another Is It deck. 
Uh, DRC, Ragavan, Murktide, no Ledger Shredder, but I think that's been pretty normal for them. Yeah, a few more uh, one-drops here. So agreeing with your assessment of how you win this matchup. Eighth place, Mlex. More, is it Murktide? Two DRC, three Ledger Shredder. This looks like a Jerry T notebook version of this deck. One Spell Snare also. See that popping up occasionally. Yeah, I'm hearing sp- good things about Spell Snare in the format right now. Uh, again, makes some degree of sense. It also makes sense that you could try and sidestep it a little bit. So very cool to see slight evolutions in the modern format. Mm. I'm not going to talk about the top 32, I think, because I think we need to get to the other one. But ninth place, I was like, ooh, four color. And then it's like four counterspell. I'm off it. You ruined it for everyone, four counterspell person. Uh, second challenge, Sunday challenge. El Begast, first place. Uh, Archon creativity deck, but this one has a persist instead of an explore. A couple random fire ices over like a spell pierce and a fable. But uh, this deck kind of crushing it, honestly. Yeah, first and second on the weekend. Really big performance from this deck. I have never been in love with the indomitable creativity stuff in this format, but I'm, I'm always willing to reconsider my position. I, I do think Fable of the Mirror Breaker was a huge deal for this archetype. Like, just moved it forward so, so much. And now you have a real B plan and you can just pile up some treasures and hard cast an Archon. And if, if Archon's good in the format, which I think it is right now, this deck is always going to have some legs. And uh, it's, cool. it's cool to see this kind of unique looking strategy have a bunch of success. Also making my foil indomitable creativities pay off. Thank Hell yeah. you, everyone. Uh, second place bar check, Yogmoth. I uh, have not seen this one much IRL. The RCQ we went to last week had something like 90 people. And the, the store oh, was equipped. Good. The store was equipped to have that many people. So it was cool. And I, I saw a couple there, but like in the smaller events, you forget this deck exists because you just don't yeah. see it. Well, I mean, in, in a world of fury, this is a scary deck to play. You hate having your stuff blown up very efficiently by that card. There, there's other means of interaction, you know, uh, obviously, like endurance has a lot of play against this deck. You're you're really good at beating up fair decks that are trying to like grind you out. It doesn't seem like that's where the format is right now. So I understand why we're seeing less of this deck. I I still think it remains a solid choice. Like just in terms of core capabilities of the deck, it does a lot. It presents a lot of unique angles, rewards like knowing your deck very well. So. I'm, I'm never shocked when this deck pops up. I'm also not shocked it hasn't been a huge fixture in the format recently. Yeah, I also think just not a lot of people play it. Surprising. I feel like this type of deck is very popular. Like the creature combo thing usually gets a lot of points from players. But you're right. I don't see it very often. Uh, third place, Tybalt of Red Sub. Got a lot of Heatron Crabs and Ruin Crabs and other assorted Millie cards. Hmm. Hmm. Sums up my opinion as well. I have a hard time identifying when you were supposed to be playing this deck. Like it never really makes sense to me against Waffle Tapa. That's it. Okay. Well, if you're expecting a Waffle Tapa heavy field, yeah, if this you're, is a, a really nice choice. If you're playing in France, then, then maybe, but yeah, I don't know. Also don't see a lot of this anymore either, but third place is pretty impressive. Yeah. Yeah. Good finish for sure. Uh, Magic Verse, fourth place. Ooh, I like this deck. Is it uh, Shredder, Ragavan, Emery, Underworld Breach combo? 
Yeah, Ross Merriam talking about this deck a lot recently. Uh, won a, I, I forget what we call them. I'm just going to call it a PTQ. RCQ. Uh, okay, RCQ with a list that looks very similar to me. This is a deck I have dabbled with a bunch across multiple formats. It seems like it should be so, so good. It seems like it should just terrorize the format, honestly. Like it is combo with a solid B plan and a little bit of interaction and has broken draws, pretty consistent, good card draw mechanism. So it's got all the pieces. It's never really put all of that together. Hmm. Maybe this is the moment. Like is Ledger Shredder the thing it was missing to just go ahead and solidify the fact that it can play a B plan game now? Dude, it helps. It helps so much. The thing about this deck that I, th- I thought about a little bit before, but definitely had those feelings come up again is just like yeah maybe maybe this is actually just the type of thing i was looking for from is it murktide instead of doing death shadow stuff you do this because you're still able to capitalize a lot in the same way because your curve is so low right like Mm -hmm. emery Mm -hmm. emery will cost one a lot of the time you still have ragavan you have the shredders but the rest of your mana curve is is so low that shredder doesn't feel as clunky yep then as far as being able to play like a longer game against them, you have this breach stuff that is super threatening basically at all times. Yeah. I, I wonder if there's even space for like DRC to enter this deck at some point, maybe not as like a four of, but in low numbers where you just are offering that same one drop aggressive plan. That is so problematic for a lot of decks to deal with. And you have this backup mode. Yeah. The problem there is that you don't have the counter spell type of stuff. And it's, it's really hard for this deck too, because it's playing saga. So Saga's tough. Saga makes it tough, yeah. But yeah, this this deck is good, and it was already something I was kind of interested in, and then after the conclusions I came to playing Murktide and then Shadow, uh, this is definitely another thing that I would like to try. Cool. Yeah, I could see myself playing this as well. GYYBY297, fifth place. Blue, white, Urza, pretty normal from what I've seen, where... You have like some Thopter Foundry stuff, but you're not going super hard on it. Have some Esper Sentinels, some Ingenious Smiths, kind of like blue-white mid-rangey thing. Uh, From the four-color Omnath side, this deck felt pretty easy. Yeah. And I would imagine that this deck against stuff like Living End is like also pretty tough. So I'm not sure what you're trying to beat with this exactly, other than just, you know, I want to play sweet cards. Yep. And it does that. I... I, like I, I love the look of this deck. I just can't find a reason to play it. And maybe at some point that'll change and I'll discover something about it that really entices me as it stands now. I think your your assessment is exactly right. I don't know what you're supposed to be beating with this. So and until I figure that out, I can't advise people to play it. Ooh, okay, here we go. Sixth place, McWin Sauce. Grix's Death Shadow. They're playing four Shadow, three DRC. Uh, I had those numbers swapped. Down to one Croxa, I think that's fine. I still had two, but I get it. One Dress Down Main, uh, no Lightning Bolts, playing two Fatal Push, two Terminate. I like that a lot. I had uh, two Push and I think a Dread Boar. Mm. But overall, like pretty similar list. I was playing the 20th Land. I really like the 20th Land, especially with like the extra Croxa and I had Season Pyromancer and stuff. So The other big difference was I, I like cut the Gigantha because I was just like, this is... I, I don't see how this translates to a win at any point. And so then I was like, well, what is it making it? What is it making it so we can't play? And I found a lot of good options. I was like, all right, I'm cutting this thing. 
Interesting. You're you're kind of on an island as far as that goes, but you you've always been sort of anti-Giganta, I would say. Like I think you've always leaned in the direction of show me value from this slot, not just take the free roll. Dude, especially once it starts costing eight mana, I was like, come on. Un- unless this is like an actual free roll, I am not about it. And in this deck, you know, you can grind with people, right? You, you're you're playing a Thoughtseize deck. You have Drown in the Lock, a bunch of spot removal. I can totally see games where it comes down to top decking and then Gigantra is there to maybe not save the day, but at least... Offer something. Yeah, right? And then that's great. And then like just played a bunch of games and it just repeatedly didn't do anything. So I was like, all right, this, this is all I need. I don't need much more to convince me to actually like cut this thing. I think it's not supposed to do anything the vast majority of the time. And then like, it is the only card that can win you some games at such a low cost. And it can happen in any matchup just by virtue of the way it plays out. So its absence is very, very stark when you don't have it, where you're just like, oh, in this spot, I would have been able to get Chigantha and this game would have turned. It's just very hard to point to the opposite end of, oh, if I had this extra sideboard slot, maybe I would have drawn this one pithing needle or whatever it may be, and then that would have turned the game in my favor. I agree with that, but my list also had more grindy elements, period. Yeah, and more card draw, I think, influences that for sure. Right, so, so it's like you you are less likely to actually act, you know, need or want the Gigantha. And, I don't know, Season Pyromancer against, like, is it in four colors is just so, so good. Yeah, yeah, you already have a lot of that grind to you. Like, can you imagine playing the Mirror Match where they have Gigantha and, and you have some Pyros? Yeah, I, I mean, I know which one of those cards I want in a vacuum for sure. Right, so, I don't know. Uh, it is It is good to see... Death Shadow winning kind of confirms some sus- suspicions I had. Obviously, is Murktide also doing pretty well? But yeah, uh, I'm like hardcore in favor of Grixis right now, especially because you have the double pronged attack against Cascade with Thoughtseize and Drown versus just yeah. having a wall of counter magic and hoping that it's good enough. Like you need to make all your land drops, you need to constantly keep man open, whatever. This deck gets to be a little bit more proactive and actually develop. So I like it a lot. Always love proactivity. Scipio, seventh place, Mono White Hammer. Uh, this looks pretty similar to the Crusher Bot list. Yeah, this these decks aren't doing anything super flashy at this point. There's like some no. small tweaks, but that's it. This one has a Ginger Brute, which we didn't have and like definitely should have. Uh, and then uh, Blacksmith Skill main deck, which mm-hmm. Crusher did not have in their 75 at all, and I was kind of shocked by because that card has impressed me just like yeah. every single time. Seems quite good, given how the format has been shaped. Okay, so uh, Crusher had three mana types in the sideboard. Mm-hmm. This one has two. Mm-hmm. And then as we were playing matches, it was just like, what, what are we bringing mana tithe in against? There was no matchup where it just felt like, oh yeah, like this is definitely the matchup that you want to manatize. So it was just like, I don't even know what we're doing here. Like, yeah, it's more stuff against Cascade, presumably, but that was the closest I got, you know? It's weird that my first instinct was like just the huge mana decks, which is weird because they have huge mana, right? But yeah. you're you're as the Esper Hammer player, you tighten the window so much that it's like, you know, jam karn on three or lose those those are your options and if i'm able to float a mana you basically have no options at that point yeah but a it's really hard to float a mana and also it's just that one window yes and, and also 
I don't know. The Tron matchup seems fine to me, but uh, agree, agree. Uh, Manatith is an interesting card, and at times I have felt it is both underplayed, and then I see it played, and I go, "Wow, that card's probably overplayed because it is yeah. such a small window." But if there's a deck that can leverage it, it, it does feel like it's supposed to be this deck where you just say you have one window. If I mess with you on this window, you cannot win the game at that point. And it's just a question of, is it reducing the turn on which you present that window to actually have the mana tithe in your deck? Something like a one-of is really appealing to me for what it's worth. Like, put yeah. put the fear of it into your opponent. Like, let it know it's out there. Or let someone else play the mana tithes, and you can just bluff it. I think that's sure. really fine, too. Yeah, three. Three was just, like, so that's many. A that's a lot. Uh, eighth place. Is it Merktide? Question mark. Except with some Teferis. Yeah, I don't have any real takeaway from that. I, It seems pretty low cost. It's never free. We know that. Pretty low cost to get Teferi into this list. I just don't know why you need it. Like what it's giving you an edge verse, short of it just being a generically good card. So not sure on that one. Well, it gives you more answers to Murktide. Is very good against Cascade, obviously. And... I mostly agree with you where it's like, ah, you don't need it in those spots. Right. But right. it's, it is, yeah, just generically good across basically the entirety of the format. So if you know, you're not playing against burn or anything that is specifically punishing you for fetching an extra shock land per game or whatever, then whatever. And I also just like, if this is your plan, then great. Uh, like, I, I don't object to it. Like, if you are saying, this is how I will always play these matchups, I'm dependent on this thing, and you reshape your entire deck around it, it can be in a vacuum worse. And if you have the plan built out to leverage Teferi, do it. Like, that. that is what so much of Constructed Magic magic about, is just making plans and implementing them. And it's another area where, like, I do think that's one of my good skill sets, is just I always have a purpose for every card in my deck. So even if this Teferi is quote unquote worse, that doesn't really matter if true hero says, well, this is how I play this matchup and Teferi is my plan. And then plays in that fashion. That's completely fine. Actually check this out. I actually like this. I don't know if this is the intent or not, but they have two dress downs main, which mm-hmm. is more than you normally see. And also is, I don't know, still to me, like kind of strange for where this format is right now. But I could definitely see situations where Teferi Dressdown is just your card drawing engine against four color. Okay. Yeah, that's cool. That could sell me. There's there's a third Teferi in the board, but not a third Dressdown or anything. So I don't know if that's actually the plan, but I mean, there's no Jace in the sideboard where people normally have a Jace. Right. Uh, oh, the other conclusion I came to from Murktide was like, Jace just kind of stinks. It just like dies pretty easily. And... Your your one Jace ideally would be two copies of Memory Deluge. It's so funny, <laughs> just the state of Jace at this moment. Unholy and Heat is too good. Fury's too good. It's yeah, it used to be unkillable, right? And now it's just very killable. Every card just incidentally kills Jace. Yeah, the world has changed. So I, I like I like two Deluges. I think then you can maybe afford to not go as hard on the one drops and like try and play a longer game with them. I still think it's a bad plan, especially I think depending on your opponents and if they are able to pick up on how you're trying to approach the matchup should probably keep in Emrakul. And there have definitely been opponents where I'm like, Oh, I have to side out Emrakul. Right. Mm-hmm. But I've also just, I don't know. We got Emrakul when we were playing hammer in the post board games. It was just like, what? 
So I don't know. Maybe just everyone keeps it in. So therefore, like slowing your deck and trying to play that longer game is you're just going to lose Demerkel anyway. So don't even try, which is That's why I like the shadow thing better. Yeah. Yeah. Like I said, I, I always love pre- proactivity in these kind of spaces. I think there's a lot of value in it. Yeah, it's not as fun, but it does win more. That's what we're here for. We're all about getting that W, making our way to Magic Glory, and eventually the MPL. Right? That's still what we're doing here? Yeah. It's been my lifelong dream to reach the MPL. Someday, Gerald. Someday. Uh, ninth place, just because I mentioned the last ninth place, is Living End. So cool. First yep. showing of that. Yeah. Uh, that's, that's it, man. I think our show was good. I don't think I don't think we disappointed anyone. I don't think it was a train wreck. I think we talked about the things we wanted to talk about. We and, and more. And more, as we often do. We continue to update on this PTQ season, offer our unique brand of insight. That's what you call it when your insights are like kind of medium. You call them a unique brand of insight. So I yeah, good show. Cheers. I think I think my insights are good, man. Game. Game. Good luck.